so we're uh, we're in the process of changing, you know, the room upstairs. Call it the study. Yep, yep. It's going to turn into one of the kids' rooms. So I got to move everything. We got to rearrange the study and move. There's five bookshelves up there that have to be moved downstairs to various rooms. Yes. I'm kind of excited to is an excuse to rearrange everything, but it's a lot of work because I got to take them all on the floor, take all the shelves off, rope you into coming over and helping me move the stuff down the stairs. But I'm kind of I'm looking forward to to sorting through everything. But there's going to be a couple hundred books laying on my floor for it's going to take me a couple weeks to a month to do this. So it's, are we looking to get rid of stuff? Are we looking to reorganize? Are we doing the book uh, the cases differently? Are we going to have more organization, less organization? What I want to hear your process. Led me into what I want to talk about. Well, first of all, I'm going to organize. Like you've noticed, there's. I always want to have everything perfectly organized and kind of create my own system that That's rocks. the bookseller in you. Yeah. Well, no, it's the book lover in me. Okay. But I want to create a system that rivals or exceeds the Dewey Decimal System. So I'm looking forward to reorganizing and experimenting with that. But it is a lot of, so I was kind of look into like, okay, maybe I'll go through some, get rid of some. Put some in free little libraries. Uh, Ooh, I like that. I thought of that too. So you know, like just downsize a bit. Not not like I'm moving and just getting rid of a ton. I don't think I'll ever do that. Actually, I'm gonna be really stubborn. But I want to downsize a little bit. And so, with that being said, uh, yesterday and today I went book shopping and got got maybe seven or eight new books that I was gonna talk about. So. In the midst of knowing I need a downsize, I just bought. I love this. Double down. I wasn't not going to get some. And You're you'll see. What get. Let's, you know, what's the number? Decent. No, actually, no, it's not the money. It was the fact that I got. No, it was an analogy. Oh, I got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm already, yeah. I'm already 30 grand in debt. What's, what's 32? Let's get a master's degree. <laughs> I like this. I like this. Um, was this a popular popular decision in your household? I didn't, I didn't tell her. Okay. Good, smart. I, I like that. In, in fairness to my wife, she doesn't get on me to to downsize. She's, she's I, I was going to offer to take some of your books. It's well, into my house. I will, with, I'll have an eye to stuff you would like. Okay. Because I'm not just going to get rid of them. And in fairness to my wife, she doesn't bug me about that. Like she may want me to move some, but she doesn't bug me to get. Okay. I think she knew going in. I told her like I'm. I'm probably just not gonna. These are these are a part of me. Not gonna ever get rid of these. Two. I'm not gonna tell you what the numbers in the back of the book mean. Those are my favorite highlights of the book. Do you ever tell her about that? The annotations. She didn't care. Okay. She didn't. Um, do you want to go into uh, in this little intro? Do you want to tell me some of the books you got on your? By the way, where where did we go? What okay, was the so- well, yesterday I went to Bizarre Bizarre. It was a pretty Great cool store. Great bookstore. Nice. Um, well, let's start in with that. So I didn't get, I always, well, I don't know how to say this. So we, I never read, have you ever read Umberto Eco? No, I've heard, I've heard he's very smart. 
I've always wanted to read. Yeah. 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 He had at the Bizarre Bazaar, there were five or six copies of The Island of the Day Before. And have not heard that one. It looked really cool. Cool cover. It's about a guy in the 1600s who gets shipwrecked on a ship. Okay. Like he's stranded and managed to pull himself on a ship. Okay. It's, it seems like one of those uh, imaginary, fanciful, Twelfth Night type. So you're gonna go uh, in the name of the rose? Is that his, that's his most famous work? Well, yeah. So I'll, I'll get there. Okay. Sorry. Well, anyway, it's just like a weird dream, like guy gets shipwrecked on a ship in the. How do you get shipwrecked on a ship? And his ship went down, and he pulled he himself. Shipwrecked on an island. I mean, that's kind of okay. one of the ship right? hits a ship. He shipwrecked on a ship. Gotcha. Right. So he's stranded on a ship. The crew's missing, and there's an island nearby that he can't get to. And it looked really cool. And I don't know why. There's something in my. There were five or six copies, and I don't know why I didn't buy one. I I thought you know oh some college class must have just got yeah, done teaching. That's what I was gonna guess. But then I said it snidely to myself, and I didn't buy it. And then today, when I was I, at the store I went to today, I was like, I wish I bought that Umberto Echo book. It doesn't matter if college like course taught it. Why? What is that? You know? Where? What? What was the hesitation? No, I was just like, I need something cooler, something more abstract, a little bit under the radar. My cynicism got in the way. I didn't think it through. Yeah. Like college must have just got done. And I kept moving, even though it was cool. So I went, I didn't get anything from the Bizarre Bazaar. I bought uh, Maverick on DVD, but that's not. Okay, Maverick on DVD, that's. DVD, it's not here nor there. Oh, I don't know really how to respond to that, but okay. That's, I mean, anyway, so I, didn't get any books I know you fairly Bazaar. well, that's not surprising, but to the listener, that might be a little bit of a head scratcher, I will admit. But I wanted a. Uh, no Umberto Echo, but Maverick on DVD. People. Don't buy DVDs anymore, but they got I do. you do. Okay, so that's that's day one. So I'm gonna get today. I was like, I wish I bought that Umberto Echo book. I'm gonna go to the Umberto Echo section, this bigger, more corporate store. I don't know if we want to plug them or not. Not the big corp, not the one. Secondary big corporate. Secondary big store. So a street the, has a street name yeah. in the title. Yeah, a street name. Okay. I know what it is. Yeah. It's called Second and Charles. Second and Charles. That's fine. Whatever. When you told me about it like five years ago, I was like, oh, that sounds cool. And I wrote it down. And I wrote it as Second and, or Second Hand Charles. Oh. And I went to Google it the next day and I couldn't find it. I was like, what is Peter talking about? <laughs> second and Charles. So I went there and I went to. You bought Maverick 2. You bought Maverick 2 on DVD. They didn't make Maverick too. Okay. Uh, I did look for Out of Sight. They didn't, they didn't have it. Out of Sight's a good movie. It's uh, fitting for tonight too. You gotta subscribe to Stars to watch it on the internet, and so that's why it's good to have it on DVD. All right, let's, let's get on. The, you're getting off track here. Come on, come on. Let's focus. Right. We I went to the Umberto Echo section. Uh, yeah. They did not have the cool ship book, but they did have. Well, called Pendulum. Oh, I've heard of that one too. That yeah, sounds. Are we smart enough to talk about that book on our podcast? We have to have all this back on. Yeah, all this. Yeah, that would actually. 
actually, if he wants to. <laughs> That's exactly. This sounds cool. Wait. Yeah. So I that and the name of the rose. I started thinking like we should one of these days get to name of the rose or Echo. Okay. I don't know if it would count as a thriller corner to do like an intellectual type where we bumble our way through it. Yeah, I don't know. We could probably figure it out. This is endlessly diverting and more intricate and absorbing than the name of the rose. An intellectual adventure story, a sensational thrilling, and packed with arcana as the Raiders of the Lost Ark and Count of Monte Cristo. Okay. I don't know. It doesn't sound... I almost feel like you're uh, trying to add to our TBR right now. Not right now. Some of these may show up later. But Full Call's Pendulum, I've always... It's not math. Is that That's math. No. Philosophy? It's not. Uh, I don't know. No, no, no. I think it's like a smart people's Da Vinci Code or something. Okay. Next book. Anyway, I am uh, Foucault's Pendulum. I found, this is what I was looking for to begin with, what I was scouring for. Yeah. It's almost honest. Got Flashman. Flashman's. Is that the next one? Flashman's Lady. the next one. We're doing Flashman's Lady. Fourth one? Yep. Fourth uh, one. Wow. I'm excited. I haven't read this one. Okay. The other three I, I read and it was fun to revisit, but I have not read this one. So, so that's... every August, every August we do a Flashman book. So it's you don't need to nominate. We, we usually add something extra, as always. But if you guys want to get going, it's you know not too late. It's not too early. Um, yeah, I think Elspeth, his wife, gets kidnapped by pirates. Oh, sounds fun. intriguing. Fun stuff. Nice. It's a good little book haul. You're not done yet. Oh, oh well, I found one by Walker Percy, who oh. I've nominated before. We never chose. I'd never heard of this. Uh, it looks awesome. It's called The Thanatos Syndrome. It sounds like some, I should have started and said it was a Stephen King novel, and you would have been like, oh, okay. Uh, when Dr. Tom Moore is released on parole from state prison, he returns to Feliciana, Louisiana, the parish he was born and bred, where he practiced psychiatry before his arrest. Immediately mm. notes something strange in almost everyone around him. Unusual sexual behavior in women patients, a bizarre lust of inhibition, his own wife's extraordinary success at bridge tournaments, during which her mind seems to function like a computer. That's With a the ingenious weird. help. I know, I know, right? <laughs> With the ingenious help of his attractive cousin, Dr. Lucy Lipscomb, Dr. Moore begins to uncouple a criminal experiment to improve people's behavior by drugging the area's water supply. That is that sounds uh, bizarre. That is a bizarre book, but in a good way. In a good way. If I like a literary like, southern author, like to be honest, it sounds like too much going on. No, it sounds like a too much going on. Like a, too many things. No. Too many things on the menu in that book. No, no, that's like a well strung together. That's the type of thing Stephen King does. Only maybe a little creepier. Stephen King, good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, ish. I think he's trailed off a little bit, to be honest with you. Anyway, that sounds cool. They're poisoning the water supply to improve people. It sounds better than Maverick. Maverick's a, have you not seen Maverick? Top Gun Maverick or Maverick Maverick? No, no, no. Maverick with uh, Mel Gibson and James Garner and Jodie Foster. From the 90s. I'm, I'm, I, I'm vaguely aware of the movie. Anyway, I got Romantic Comedy by Curtis Sittenfield. I won't go into it, but maybe I don't know. 
We need to read more modern lit fic, and that's one that everybody's talking about. Have we ever done a, a book haul in, their, in our intro? I don't think we ever have. I think so. I got The Underground Railroad. Pulls that's White a fantastic Hand. book. No, I thought you'd like that. Might have to nominate that later. It's about trains. I got, um, uh, have you ever read The Three-Body Problem? I've wanted to. Those books are so good. Peter? I know you, I know you've read them, right? I've read them. And then the author, whose name, I don't know how to yeah. Lu, mm-hmm. like transliterated from Chinese. He has a, I don't think it's new. I think all his books are finally being translated into English. But he's got one called Supernova Era, which is, you know. Uh, the blurb says, uh, what if, like Ursula K. Le Guin rewriting Lord of the Flies. Hey, look at that. All right. So I picked that up. That's good. And then I got one I may go my whole life without ever reading, but I picked it up. Ducks Newberry Port. <laughs> it was like a buck. So I was like, all right, let me just. Let that me is the last book I thought I would have thought you would have bought. Uh, no. Not a map. Book. Hello. Hello. <laughs> That would be uh, the appearance of Matt's son on the podcast. Uh, he will read that book before Matt reads that book. That would be my prediction. Do you want to read Duck's Newburyport before Ben? It's a thousand pages with no paragraph brace. And on that note, welcome to There Will Be Books, a podcast about books and a thousand page children. I'm Peter, joined as always by Matt. That would be funny if you read that book to your son. As like, oh, he get bored. Probably have to go to therapy for that. <laughs> My dad made me read Duck's Newburyport. How old were you? No. Mm. <laughs> Session two. Proudy, Matt. You know what's funny? I was going to text you this afternoon. Because the local library is having their used book sale. Is that this weekend or next weekend? This weekend at Ooh. the Old Town Library. And I went without you because I had to pick up a book from the library. I have to say it's a little bit disappointing. Yeah. It's too small. They try to do these smaller ones, a couple thousand books. Yeah. I'm always like, eh, nothing's, nothing's catching my eye. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, no, like any, I, I like the variety and like Bizarre Bazaar's got a good, they got good history and philosophy and stuff like that. They have some, a unique selection. Second and Charles, good for, I find random, like the Walker Percy and stuff, that's good for random fiction that's they, not, you would find at Barnes and Noble or whatever. I don't quite understand how they have their prices so low for some of their books. Some of the older paperbacks, I get for like a buck ninety, a buck something. So it, I don't know. I'm, I'm happy. I'm jealous of you. I could go do these same things. I could go. It's a good shelves. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad I found the Flashman too. The Flashman's key. I gotta go pick that up. Just happened. They had like three Flashman books, and one of them happened. They only have one copy of that. Yeah. And you got the updated uh, covers that aren't as, uh, you know. Oh, I don't, this one, it's not, it's the, 
Actually, it involves cricket too. Ooh, because Flashman is a, a good cricket player. Did I, I ever think tell it's you Byron? about the winner I once learned the rules of cricket about ten years ago. Oh yeah, for gambling purposes? Or? No, just curious. Just gotta you know keep evolving as a human being. Okay. And then you learn the the rules of a sport you're never going to play, and vaguely remember how it works. That is about to come in handy. You're going to understand parts of this book way more than anybody else. Yeah. That's the preparation I do on this podcast, Matt. Matt, this week, we are going back to 1974, crime fiction, a lesser-known novel, I would say, because we nominated this book uh, a couple months ago, and that is 52 Pickup by Elmore Leonard. Um. This is my first Elmore Leonard that I've read. Uh, interestingly enough, I had a friend g- growing up. We were probably teenagers, okay? And he was a big film buff fan. His, his parents would let him watch all kind of like the new movies of the 90s. Uh, you know, probably not age-appropriate Quentin Tarantino movies such as that. Gotcha. He picked up, I believe, Get Shorty when we were like 13 years old, okay? Yeah. And he struggled through it. He, it took him like, I remember like weeks to finish like 50 pages. Okay. I don't think he ever he finished the book. Yeah. Because he liked the movie? Yes. Like the movie. Okay. I gotcha. Yeah, yeah. That was my first introduction to Elmore Leonard is my friend growing up trying to read his book. Oh. Yeah. Uh, and I kind of knew kind of like his style, I guess. Um, he's, he's, some good movies have been made out of his books. I was going to say, he's. My connection to him began with movies, and I was like, okay, maybe he's he writes the kind of book that can be easily adapted into a movie. That's interesting. I like some books like that. Sometimes I read a book and I say, oh, this this could be easily adapted. Yeah. But I never searched them out. And I, to be honest, I was a little, not hesitant, but we, we kind of picked 52 Pickup, a book I never heard of. It's mm-hmm. one of his earlier uh, crime thriller genre books he starts off in uh, westerns in westerns for a decade or two so i was a little bit like am i gonna get the good elmore leonard does that make sense am i gonna get elmore leonard as prime 90s elmore leonard the elmore leonard that uh, inspires justified inspires a whole bunch of movies i didn't realize he wrote a novel that was a tarantino adapted into jackie brown jackie brown get shorty Uh, out of sight, which you would love. I don't know why you haven't yeah, seen Clooney. That's like young Clooney. Alley. Like you'd love Out of Sight, but he wrote the that book. Uh, yeah. So fifty two pickup. I, I I started up on my e reader, and almost immediately I realized, oh, I'm going to be a big fan of Elmore Leonard. Uh-huh. This isn't rough edges, or I was like, yeah, it's not fully formed Elmore Leonard. This is. I feel like entertainment has a very nice style. It surprised me. It had, I don't think the characters were, you know, super deep, but they had, what I really liked what he did is he had some very tense and interesting scenes of dialogue. Don't uh, they? Yeah. Dialogue. Some, don't they seem plausible? I don't want to say realistic because they are kind of amped up a bit, but plausible. You're not it's like, oh, that's a story, right? It feels very yeah. 70s-ish in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Overtly. And I don't, but I don't 
just real quick, I don't think that dates it or, or it does date it, but in a good way. Because he nails, I think that's genuine lingo for Detroit at the time. So it dates it, but you also feel like a movie that was set in the past. It feels genuine for the time period. Um, he does this wonderful thing with our main character where he's the dialogue and sort of how he acts and trying to get, get revenge in a way or kind of outsmart his uh, enemies. It's very clever. It's very like pitting the enemies mm-hmm. against one one another. It's, I, I enjoy that in a kind of plot. Uh, it was just a really well done thriller crime mm-hmm. book that it, it's kind of like all my pre- preconceived notions of like, oh, this isn't going to be like Elmore Leonard is as top. If Elmore Leonard gets better from this, then I'm going to be a lifelong fan. Is, is kind of where I'm at right now. So 52 pickup was, um, I'm glad we read it. I'll say that. I'm glad. I'm happy to hear that. Yeah. I enjoyed it too. It's yeah. It, I guess it's an, inter- it's an interesting place to come in with him. You know what I, it's interesting. You mentioned your friend as a teenager had trouble with it. I think I would have had trouble with him as mm-hmm. a teenager. I think there's something about, him that you maybe appreciate as you get older because our protagonist is a middle age he's in his 40s and uh you know he kind of he screws up and gets himself into trouble because of that and he's got to work his way out i don't think 15 year old me who loved thrillers and crime and everything like that sort of thing it just wouldn't have appreciated this because i wouldn't have been able to i think it may, may take a little more age to appreciate because his other protagonists are kind of like that too. They're okay. A little older, a little more experienced with life and, it, you know. And yeah, that, that makes sense. And our protagonist in this book kind of makes a mistake in his Should life the- that kind of snowballs into yeah. a situation where it, it almost feels like it's the book is about life snowballing on a character, on our main character. Like mm-hmm. just things are going bad. Things get worse. And mm-hmm. The kind of the entertaining part is our character, main character, has to figure out a way to get out of this predicament, right? Uh, do you real quick, yeah, let's do the plot, get into it. Um, our main protagonist, it essentially it has an affair with uh, a woman who works not at, at, as like a it's not a strip club, it seems unique to the time to the era as well. Takes place in Detroit, and there's a uh, a place where you can take photo, like like a, a live nude show, yeah, kind of. But it lets people pay to just take Polaroid snapshots of a girl, a topless woman, for ten minutes. So our upstanding, you know, a guy who went from working Business on the line factory to owning his own business, like he's blue collar guy, done well, probably a you know, a, a low figure millionaire owns his own design uh, factory company that makes parts for cars and stuff. Uh, has an affair with the, one of those girls who works at the Polaroid place. And what are are the bad guys in this? He finds out it open. It opens right away with some action. Like it doesn't really mess around getting into it. But he finds out he's being blackmailed. There's three shadowy figures who show him videos of him and the woman and they say we're going to 
send a package of this to the newspapers and your wife unless you pay us $100,000. Right. And that's the end of the opening. Like, okay, what does this guy do? Mm-hmm. Uh, and from there, and I don't know if we want to you can kind of spoil it a little bit. Um, and from there, he kind of has to deal with his, his wife and these three and sort of three, you know, kind of bad guys, but they're all, they're kind of each different and they're each kind of, um, it's one of those plots where the bad guys are kind of in for, they're not all equal. If that makes sense. Like one guy's clearly more competent than the other guy. One guy's more sinister. One guy's more of a buffoon. And one guy's smart. Yeah. And there is, you'll see as you go forward and read more Leonard, you'll see looking back, like those are Elmore Leonard bad guys. Just something about them. No one's an evil genius. They're just kind of, even the smart ones, there's kind of a animal brutality and cunning to them, you know, but they're not, again, they seem kind of plausible. One guy's charming, but violent. One guy's, he's smart, but he's basically sociopath. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, um, it's drawn. It, it, this is something that I noticed while reading it, and you kind of sent me a link to an article about Elmore Leonard's like 10 tips of writing or kind of like rules for writing, and we yeah. can kind of get into that later. But he has this very interesting way of he talks about that within those rules where he kind of cuts out a lot of the fat in a book in a, a, a normal novel. Is I noticed that before I even knew the sort of the what his 10 rules were it almost seems sort of seemed to he cuts out parts where it was just be a big connective tissue in the story it wouldn't really probably add that much it might just be a character like i don't know waking up and having breakfast mm-hmm. so it has this good pace and like uh i felt like good rhythm to the story that mm-hmm. uh, i appreciate and it's kind of like a hallmark i saw this interview with him where he said people read the books I write not because of the plot, but how I how I write them. And I think that's a good way of describing it. It's just like the way he goes about what he does is very appealing and very interesting. Give me thoughts on that. Yeah. Well, a lot of heavy, snappy, good dialogue that does a lot of the a lot of the work. Um, yeah, he doesn't waste time describing one of his ten rules is cut out the stuff that you normally skip in other books don't describe yeah. the scenery i mean and so he kind of does it like with the guy's house he does enough to let you know it's a big house and this guy's done well but it, you know you don't get into the what type of architecture is and there's no you know scenes of him driving his car up the you know and you get a paragraph of describing the house or whatever there's none of that it's very get to business the interesting part is how is this guy going to get himself out of trouble and will he? And let's just stick with that. Yeah, and the, I was surprised a couple times with the book, and one of them was his his wife, Barbara. Like she is, um, kind of almost a little bit quicker on her feet than most of all the other characters in, in the book. I felt like it, like kind of versus her husband, like she sees. Um, I don't know. I, I was kind of surprised at that. Typically, I would kind of expect kind of our protagonist's wife in this case the, the woman who got cheated on to sort of be maybe one dimensional maybe kind of a very easy character just to write very quickly and I felt and I don't know if you felt the same way that she would like her first interaction with her husband when she finds out that he is he basically comes out and tells her right away that he's cheated um, 
she's a very interesting character. She's very like quick on her feet, smart. Um, has has this like fiery attitude that I appreciated, and that was kind of a moment where, I, for me as a reader, being like, oh, I like an author who makes kind of makes this character more than sort of just a mm-hmm. throwaway character, so to speak. Yeah, um, she's not a stock character. And I'll be honest, at the end, is I didn't totally like the end and what happened with her. I thought it, it makes sense in the story to like kind of prove the point that these bad guys are evil. But um, as a fan of hers, at the I was kind of like, eh, I don't like it. It's kind oh, of, yeah. yeah. Um, but that was kind of my first kind of evidence to myself to be like, oh, I... I could love Elmore Leonard books just because of this one character and how he treats this one character in the book. I don't know. Well, sort of the uh, kind of the thing I'll remember and kind of remember when we do our book Oscars at the end of the year, it's just this kind of minor character that I thought was very well done and sort of a scene. Now I'll bring it up here as I'll let you talk about it, but a scene that kind of like blew me away as far as just the back and forth and how, characters and and how he does the dialogue about how each one's trying to get something from the other person and it's just it's kind of dialogue i like to read so thoughts on that matt oh well uh i was thinking as far as the the well-drawn uh woman character went there's a book called kill shot of his and another one called the switch where the woman is kind of the the protagonist or he it, he does a thing where he switches duty there's the main good quote-unquote good protagonist and in those two books it's the woman you know interspersed with the bad guy but Killshot is pretty well drawn uh female character we've got to deal with the hitman and the switch is kind of like 52 pickup only the gender's reversed or the protagonist is the the cheated on wife but anyway he, he actually when he does the woman protagonist he does them pretty well i think I'm just going to read you the kind of uh, the scene I'm talking about. And it's it's our main character, Mitchell, kind of telling his wife, Barbara, about this sort of affair and hinting at sort of maybe there's more to it. and Not so much as the connection, but it's like he's being blackmailed, essentially. Um, he goes, I've been seeing a girl, he said. Barbara's gaze remained on the lowball glass, still holding it. He couldn't see her eyes. He knew she was waiting for him to continue and he didn't know what to say. I met her about three three months ago. He waited again as she took a sip of her drink, her eyes still lowered. Go on. I don't know how to tell it. Try, Barbara said. She looked at him directly now. She seemed calm. Do I know her? No, we met in a bar. I've been seeing her maybe two, three times a week. You go to bed with her that often? No, it's not like that. Then what are you seeing her for? And it goes like that, kind of that like combative nature. And I love the part where... Barbara goes, go on and just sort of try those like simple things where you can, you get the sense of a person's like personality by just these simple, like he's kind of struggling and he's like, I don't know how to do that. And she just goes, try. And like yeah. in my head, I'm like, oh, that's just brilliant of like, mm-hmm. he, you don't have to over explain it. You just say, you know, kind of this simmering, just tr- try to explain this to me. <laughs> and mm-hmm. then she kind of yeah. like catches him in, you know, as he's like, well, why are you telling me? But you're telling me. So, yeah, explain. Yeah. But yeah, that's uh, that's the scene that I'll probably 
remember for the book Oscars, but yeah, that's kind of the example of the, the dialogue that. Well, it's good. And that sets up the whole, everything you need to know going forward about these two characters, the type of woman Barbara is, the type of guy Harry Mitchell is. Yeah. It, yeah. 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 And the interesting thing about that, I found it refreshing that he didn't go to the police and it's plausible that he's the type of guy who wouldn't do that. He wants to, so the, and the fun of the book is he wants to handle it himself. Right. Uh, and that's why he tells his wife it cuts the undercuts the blackmail angle if his wife already knows. Uh, and, and and part of the thing is the the bad guys it it turns out you know they they got him as a they monitored this you know what they figured was kind of a white collar pushover rich guy they figure it'll blackmail him and it'll be easy and he'll be a pushover but since he's a blue collar guy who kind of made his own way in the world he decides he's not going to take any guff and fixes it himself. And that's kind of the, the, the fun of it. Well, I just read. The other thing I was thinking about why I think Patsy and I just talked about in particular, Mitchell is like, is being basically dominated by his wife in this conversation. But then right after that, you see Mitchell being very confident and very like, um, people are afraid of him when he's talking to like union people at his job. So he, it's not just that, this Mitchell character is someone who's sort of meek and can kind of be steamrolled by other people in, in conversation. Well, exactly. That's that just the thing that his wife can do that and is smarter than him and kind of has this like edge to her. So I, mm -hmm. I think if you only saw Mitchell from the this kind of conversation with his wife, and then you didn't see him be very sharp and and kind of a, a, on the attack in some other conversations without throughout the book. I, I don't think his character would be as interesting as it is because it you you see multiple sides to him. He makes Leonard makes him a World War II vet, right? Like he's yeah, he's he was a pilot. World kills in action, like he has this sort of edge that other people see. And the fact that his wife can kind of undercut that, I don't mm -hmm. know. I felt like that was yeah. a very unique and it, kind of smart way of of creating this character. So, um. That's he sets him up well too, and how like and how he dealt with the union people because he owns his own factory, and it shows him struggling with the union people and a work stoppage, and it's just all this stuff. The way he goes about his business, good character development, uh, but brisk too. You see little scenes, some of it, how this it, guy handles things. And I think we both appreciate this. It's not like a lot of holding our hands as sort of readers. You kind of have to catch up on like you the the sort of the hints are there about who these like their personalities and stuff but kind of going back to his like 10 rules of writing he doesn't he's not gonna pad his book with sort of let me tell you how you know mm -hmm. you know kind of how mitchell really was or like how their relationship with how their backstory is you can almost get their entire backstory through just the conversations they have now it hints well, at you get, they have you get the dialogue right you get you get the backstory, yeah. You get the, the, you know, they have a daughter that's similar age to the woman that he has the affair with, but mm -hmm. it, it feels very natural that that would come up in a conversation, right? That's not like an info dump that Leonard's like, oh, let me add that he has a daughter, right? Or you know, exactly. Does that make sense? Oh, exactly. Um, so it's just giving you context to someone to the story in a very interesting and not sleight of hand, but just not heavy handed, right? Um, so yeah, I don't know. 
I feel like I'm rambling right now, Matt. <laughs> what are aspects of the book that you liked? Oh, that just means you liked it. That's good. No, I liked how, so here's a big one I wanted to get into. So Leonard came off writing Westerns for a long, long time. You know, pulp Westerns back in the 50s when they were, you could make a living kind of doing that. And I don't know if you noticed, but there's a, in this one, and there's some other ones where it's more pronounced, where his transition from Western writer to crime writer, the early 70s, late 60s, early 70s, you can see some Western things in his early crime novels. And this one, I kind of, if you look for it, it's there. It's a guy up against the three bad guys in this book mm. are kind of like in a Western, in a serial Western. I don't know if you watch the old half hour serial Westerns. You know, your protagonist has got to deal with a you know series of bad guys who are up to no good or whatever. And it was kind of like that. It's the strong loner type up against three bad guys the bobby shot one of our villains was kind of the gunslinger he's literally called a gunslinger you see him holding up a bus which i think he literally calls it a coach a stagecoach oh yeah right? and so and then towards the end he shoots up he shoots a guy through the glass just five times like you know he's he's the gunslinger there's the creepy the ringleader the idea man here isn't brilliant or anything but he's got an animal coming to him he knows how to get what he wants and what he wants is like creepy and you know mur he's like murderous but he'd be like the head bad guy and it's kind of similar in a western and then the the lowly the kind of blundering you know idiot bad guy it's, like, it, it, it's, it's a western it's kind of a western western in 70s detroit ish and our protagonist is outgunned. Let's just go with the Westerns. He's outgunned, metaphorically speaking. Uses wits. He's outgunned. You know who else is a cowboy who uses wits against bad guys with guns? John Wayne? Brett, Brett Maverick. Brett Maverick. Oh, we all Maverick. together. I'm uh, going to have you over and watch Maverick. Anyway. <laughs> But no, it's our protagonist who's not 100%. He's not like the white hat, the 100% good guy. He did. He's oh, half He got himself into the mess. But he's in it. He almost embraces it. He's like, all right, I'm going to get out. I'm not calling the police. I'll tell but my wife. Out of it. We don't really want to tell, like, I don't even think we should spoil it. Just I read the book. But we should read it on. Just the way he uses the three bad guys against each other. And you can he see it as you're reading it. You're like, wait a second. Okay. I, <laughs> I said this to myself while I was reading sort of the last third of the book. I go, okay, I see what he's doing here. Because I was wondering. Is he going to turn to violence? Is he going to, like, how exactly is, because, you know, he kind of. Is he going to get a gun? And, but, yeah, yeah he, he loses, the bad guy steal his gun. Yeah. And it basically, you figure, and you, he doesn't, and Leonard doesn't tell you, you're not inside his head, like, okay, here's my plan, and you're privy to it. You yeah, just right, see, right. You, and you got to piece it together. He, use, he has a scene with one of the guys, and he doesn't know who they are. They're wearing masks. So he has to, our protagonist has to figure out, who these guys are in the real world. And then you just see him have scenes and he tells one person one thing. And the next scene, he's talking to another suspect and he tells him a different thing. And you have to be like, wait, is he just... And you're like, oh, I see what he's doing. He's, it's like a, you know, a, a clever cowboy without a gun outsmarting the bad guys with guns. It's, I, it, I don't know it's, if anyone's made this comparison. It's probably not a very good comparison. It's a little bit like kind of Monte Cristo. You know? I thought of that. I thought of that when you sometimes don't know exactly what the plan is of the count. And uh, 
but you kind of piece you it together after. and you're like, oh, that's very smart. Yeah. It's a very way, very smart way of, uh, you know, constructing the downfall of your enemies. But um, he he improvises a little bit more. The money, yeah, yeah. And I love the end. A... The end thing was good. The uh, we won't get into it, but I I liked a little what how he handled it at the end. Real, good last sentence. Yeah. The last sentence was very true. Like, oh yeah, what? Uh, yeah. Um, I guess we can't say it without spoiling it, but it's it's worth worth your while. Uh, do you want to get into? You sent me Elmore Leonard's ten rules uh, for secrets to writing or good writing. Yeah. Uh, we can kind of do a little riff on this. Um, I have like a condensed version that um, I found. Yeah. Some of these are kind of pretty basic. Some of them are more interesting than others. Um, I, w- I kind of wonder how long he took to think about this uh, or if it was just something that he's been thinking about for a while. Um, I think it was it was published in the New Yorker. He there's a book version of it, but it's actually pretty slim. slim and I, the kind of the, the one you sent me, there's like little things where, for instance, number one, never open a book with weather. And then and like the, the one you sent me, it says, unless you're Barry Lopez or like, you know, it, oh, that's yeah, that's what it many is. things. The rules can be broken if you there's have always ex- a talent. Yeah. yeah, there's always exceptions, but. You know, is basically here. If you want to write a fun, brisk book, here's what you do: never open the weather, avoid prologues. Yeah, I like the next one quite a bit. Never use a verb other than said to carry dialogue. Yeah, I like that. I haven't thought of that really, but it it makes sense. Um, Never use an adverb to modify the verb said. Yeah, Uh, he admonished gravely. That's very good. Keep your exclamation points under control. You're allowed no more than two or three per 100,000 words of prose. That one, that's okay. He says, unless you're Tom Wolf. Exactly. There's always exceptions. Never use the word suddenly or all hell broke loose. I'm not really sure why that's on there, but. um, It's just like a cheap little, you know, suddenly this happened true just, just have it happen you know yeah it would, it would seem there's a lot of things in the 52 pickup that happened suddenly and he never uses that word so it just happened you just you just i guess it's it a, a fair point uh what's the next one uh use regional dialect sparingly uh avoid detailed descriptions of characters kind of in the vein of hemingway a little bit um that one it's give or take if you're good at descriptions I, I'll, I'll allow descriptions any thoughts on that one matt <laughs> no i mean i think that's kind of what uh don't go into great detail describing places and things i think that's actually a, a pretty good piece of mm-hmm. advice because the, the story can get bogged down if you just go about describing things describing uh, he does say unless you're margaret atwood or jim harrison there you go Try to leave out the part that the readers tend to skip, which is kind of what I hinted at before. There's not a lot of fat in this book. It just it, the scenes go from one to another, and it's it works. And there's not. Uh, I don't like the word readability. It's not. I don't think that's kind of what books should be about. Like, oh, it was easy to read, but it, um, sometimes it's it's. 
when an author is doing it really well at a high level, I, you can kind of praise it by saying that. Does that make sense? Yeah. Instead of just being like simple and easy. Uh, and then sort of the last one, the most important rule is one that sums up the 10. If it sounds like writing, I rewrite it, which is one that that's that sounds like author speak to me. Uh, he, well, he came up with that somewhere and he's like, that's a good little one liner. And, well, no, I think it's these rules are fun because it's like his secrets for him. So when he points out the exceptions of authors he likes, it's, you know, obviously they're writers who do good description. There's obviously all that stuff. But for an Elmore Leonard book, when your your name becomes a type of book, I think this is written, you know, how do you write, write tight thrillers with a little heft to them? Like they're not superficial. There's some, there's some meat to them, right? And I think it's, he's basically saying, here's how, here's how I do what I do. I would say the scenes, um, just the, how do I put this? I think how he constructs scenes is where his talent lays. For me, from this one book, is sure. how, the, how the dialogue works and how much is conveyed about the characters in the dialogue is impressive. Yeah, and he doesn't um, waste a lot of time. It felt like, seven. didn't you feel like it was 70s Detroit? Yeah. Even though you don't get you don't get a description of the skyscape, you don't get a lot of uh background, you get kind of the the shady area where the you know the dirty store is, you get this factory where he works and just some some description of roots. You know, he lives in a nice area. It but you just it, it not a lot of time gets spent on it. But I felt like you know, okay, 1974 Detroit. And you could kind of see just from like the 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 side plot of him having to work with the union and his job and the stress that that entails, that it, before the book takes place, there must have been a breaking point at some point for him to sort of this one time kind of you know almost ruin his marriage. Does that make sense? That the kind of the pieces make sense. This doesn't seem like oh, this is kind of out of character for this for the for Mitchell, but he kind of paints a picture of the stresses they have not to like you know say that what he did was right but just sort of oh no i know what little, you mean a, a well-rounded character i guess character development wise yeah you're kind of privy to the stresses and once again leonard doesn't hold your hand and explain and here's what he was thinking but you can kind of read between the lines and they're like yeah He's kind of stressed and whatever. I was going to give this book five stars, but I, I didn't like the ending as much as I thought I was going to. If that makes sense. I have no real issues. I think the way he ended it was fine. But I just, in my head, I had a different way of how I thought I was going to. Not even like a different way, but just like, I said, I, I loved the Bar Barbara character. I thought she kind of, it was kind of like, eh. yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. he's, um, it's a, it's not graphic. I was well, I don't know. That's kind of question you, for you. Is you it, gotta read between the lines as to what happens, but yeah, it was a it's a bummer what happened. It's a no, but that you know. scene and also um like this kind of this should we tell a spoiler early on in the book about kind of the shocking thing that happens to his the woman he was having the affair with? That was kind mm -hmm. of I was surprised by that. Um so he yeah, does yeah. Have choices that are kind of caught me off guard but that ups the stakes a little bit it does up the stakes and right. it, that, that heightens the tension of the book so that's 
Um, and, I'm curious to see if that happens in other books of his. I would assume it would. Yeah. Uh, well, you gotta you gotta keep you know it's yeah you gotta keep raising the stakes. The title fifty two pickup comes from what that the fifty two card pickup where you just you know drop them on the you know that's it's just a mess you gotta clean up and that's kind of the whole thing is just. Did you did mess. you watch uh, the movie version of this made in nineteen eighty six with Roy Schreider? No, I saw that they had one. I was going to try to find it on Amazon. We've been having uh, internet problems the last three days. And so we're stuck, which is DVDs. Oh. It's not ridiculous to buy a DVD. So I do, I, if it is available to rent or stream, I will watch it. Apparently it's pretty bad. Uh, really? Yeah. So it's not one of the better adaptations of his uh, books. To film. I read the description and I saw that the wife character played by Anne Margaret, uh, who I, I like Anne Margaret. But anyway, they made her uh, like a, a politician or somebody's trying to run for office. Oh, interesting. I don't know, is that an extra? I don't know. I get why they'd have that wrinkle. It makes the blackmail element a little more, a little more heft. But I don't know. Yeah, I'll watch it if it's streaming. Um, oh, what was I going to say? I was going to say something. Oh, so in my book, I didn't, I had the mass market paperback and it was a reprint from the nineties. And so they did a thing. I don't know if they still do it anymore, but now a preview of whoever the author is, is a new book. Yeah. And you get the first 15 page excerpt. I didn't know they were going to do that. And so when I was like looking okay, how many, this is, I have till page 339, I'm on page 305. It's the part where you're starting to see things come to a head with the bad guy and i was doing like okay so there's 30 more pages so i'm gonna we're gonna get to find out what happens after he deals with the bad guy so we're gonna get like the cleanup right yeah. is he gonna get is he gonna is the law gonna get on him assuming he survives right ever or is the law gonna get on him like does his wife make it out i, I figure we're gonna get a little bit of the cleanup and it turns out that last 15 pages was the preview for Tishomingo Blues. And so I wouldn't expect it to end abruptly. I was, you know, like you, uh, you're streaming a show, you push pause, you're like, oh, I got 10 minutes left. And she's like, you kind of know yeah, oh, yeah. there's this much, but then it ends in a minute and the rest is commercials. You're like, oh crap, I was not. So it ended abruptly for me, but I kind of, I kind of liked it that way. I had a similar, uh, I did the e, uh, version of it through the library in the last, I'd say 20 pages of the e version. So like I have the page number at the very bottom, like, you know, percentage wise, let's say. Yeah. And I was like, huh, this is weird. Like, I wonder what the rest of this book's going to be about. And then I looked at kind of in the table of contents and I realized the last 30 pages was just like fluff and like blurbs and just like weird e formatting issues. It just are mm -hmm. maybe some of them are just blank pages. And then there's like the title. And it was like, oh, okay. So, with like 20 pages left, I knew that the ending was going to be more abrupt than I had kind of realized when I was yeah. plotting out how much more of the book I had to read. So uh, it kind of, yeah, it kind of comes up on you, but. Um, and it, isn't it interesting how you calibrate that stuff without ever thinking about it? Yeah. Exactly. I don't even notice until like this happened, you know, like, but you do kind of like, okay, how much of the story, like plausibly, like what kind of, what kind of aftermath are we going to get? And. You know, I don't know, it's interesting. 
Yeah. Let me just say, can I say I'm not a fan of the preview of the next book in the end chapter? I was going to ask you that. Um, yeah, I'm not really thinking about it. I, I, I wanted to say I had no opinion, but if I had to choose, I would say I don't need that. Like, it's kind of a weird well, publicity gimmick. Uh, yeah, and let me just say, like, because... Like with Leonard, I'll get to Tishomingo Blues. I want to read him. With an author you like and you fully expect to read his new book, I'm going to go get the new book. My OCD doesn't allow me, like, let's say I read the chapter excerpt. You have to read I'm not going to go get, I have to either reread. I'm not, I can't, there's something in my brain that's not going to allow me to skip a chapter when I go buy the new book. So it's just like, I'm not, I'm not interested in the excerpt chapter. I'll just read it when I get the book. That might just this is a me OCD thing, but it's very real, and I don't, I don't care for it. Have you read any of the books that the Justified series is based off of? I haven't read any of the Raylan books, actually. The Raylan that, I don't. I have never watched that series, but they, it, I found it interesting. He's writing those books sort of at the same time he's writing Get, uh, Get Shorty. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I don't think so. Justified was six seasons. It's a, you'd like the, it's a good show, yeah. but I noticed. Um, so I think it's just ba- the premise is just um, based on a short story, because Raylan Givens is you know he's all he's a marshal like he's based in Miami. It's not justified as all in Kentucky, but I think Raylan's like in Miami a lot. He's not in Leonard's work. He's not in Kentucky a lot. So they expanded the short story. Well, there's know. a book called Pronto. Yeah, I have. Yeah. And there's writing the rap. But that first, so the first season justified, they burn through a lot of like entire book. Like there is a short story called Fire in the Hole that they that's what it's based on. Yeah. Okay. But anyway, the first season of Justified, a lot of the, the episodes, the hour-long episodes are like whole books. And they burn through those. And then you know, season two, it kind of gets into non-book based the, the show becomes its own thing um, but i found it interesting while i was reading this i i kind of thought to myself um man he i wonder if elmore leonard has like a library of america like big volume where you can get some of the his, maybe some of his western stuff some of his crime stuff i was happy to report they do have that they have a couple of america? um and i thought yeah that makes sense because i saw some article kind of after he passed about you know his standing sort of in american literature and i guess i never really considered that like i kind of in my head just considered him like a genre writer but i could kind of see it after reading this book that wasn't it's not like his most well-known book it's not one that people probably are like oh you got to start with to pick up or anything like that the fact that this is sort of like quote unquote a minor work you kind of agree that's not like his most well-known book right not well known but it's it's good no, that, that it's so good that you're like, why isn't this more well known? You know what I mean? Um, trying yeah. to show his his talent. So that was yeah. it's always fun to have a kind of an author you can outright your expectations, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm excited you like him. I, yeah. Somebody we we should revisit here. I actually liked him more. You right before we started the podcast, you got me to read James Elroy. Mm-hmm. I would say I like Elmore Leonard more than James Elroy. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. Even though I would 
if I had to make a prediction, if you just told me what each writer kind of did, I would probably predict I would have liked James Elroy more. And I like James Elroy, but I like Elmore Leonard just his style more. Well, I don't feel the need to pit them against each other. I like. Well, them. I just did because they have very similar names. I like them. That is true. <laughs> I, yeah, I can see getting mixed up. James Elroy, James Elroy Leonard. Yeah. I tell you, I didn't work. There's a spot to work it in, but I got distracted earlier. I saw an interview with Elmore Leonard on Charlie Rose, and he was talking about his influences. I saw a brief part part of that. Well, it would do catch the part. It was kind of funny. He was talking about, you know, like, because Leonard, I think, was born in the 20s, died in his, like, as an old man in 2011, 2012, I think. But anyway, like, he, uh, he was telling Charlie Rose, I think, like, a lot of people in my generation, I grew up wanting to be Hemingway and imitating Hemingway. And Leonard says, but somewhere along the line, it kind of hit me that this guy didn't have much of a sense of humor. <laughs> so that's kind of his, but you get, he got the sparse writing style, the, you know, uh, you can tell he took a lot from old Ernest. He seems like a writer, very comfortable in his who he is too. It took. It was. He also talked about how he did like ad copy, hmm. right? He was just kind of a sales copyright guy, and then he decided he wanted to be a writer. And it's interesting. He decided he wanted and he wanted to make a living as a writer. He didn't go into it like I just want to write and whatever. It, hmm. He was like I want. I think I can make a living doing this. And this is, you know, 50s when you could do it, writing magazines for the pulps. But he made himself, every morning he'd get up early. He said he had a yellow legal pad and he had to write two pages before he'd make himself coffee. Hmm. He just kind of forced himself to start putting it out there. He learned how to be entertaining. And you kind of, it's interesting like to start with, okay, I'm going to be entertaining and try to sell this and then as you get better you can kind of mess with themes and your your moral worldview or whatever but i it was kind of refreshing there was no like like stephen king in his on writing book is like never ever write for money it's yeah. like one of the richest authors in the world telling you not like that's easier for you to say now buddy but I, it was refreshing he was like i'm i like doing this but i'm gonna make a living doing this but he's also as he serves quote-unquote writing for money he's getting raps he's getting better at it like he's not it, he didn't he sell out. He just on laurels and just wrote the same kind of book for 40 years. Maybe, you know, similar like style and how he did it, but just. They're good. They're all, they're unique plots. He goes, you know, he writes some books that take place like Moonshine Wars in Oklahoma in the thirties. He's, there's one I read called Cuba Libre, which is, you know, Cuba in the 1900s, like early 1900s, 1910 or something. Like it, it's good. It wasn't just the same thing. I like that he started in Westerns. He wrote 310 Yuma. Did you know that? Oh, yeah, as a short Yeah, I saw that. As a short story. It's it, I read that short story. His westerns are, are good too. Okay. Uh, he wrote Joe Kidd, the screenplay for that, the Clint Eastwood movie. Um Apparently he was very uh how Tarantino kind of adapted his work was a, a big draw to him, like how he kind of viewed because that's kind of like a I don't feel like I've heard many authors be like, oh, I like it when my work is adapted. I feel like there's a little bit of like, eh, yeah. yeah. Uh, but it seemed like he uh, kind of enjoyed Tarantino's adaptations. I think Jackie Brown was... He, Jackie Brown's the only Terry, but supposedly there's a book, a Raylan Givens book called City Primeval that Tarantino was going to do, but it fell through. Um, yeah, because Soderbergh did Out of Sight, right? 
Soderbergh did out of sight. Barry Sonnenfeld did Get Shorty. And I actually love all of those movies. And it's it's interesting. It's kind of like Bond movies or a superhero movie or something. Like, what's this director's take going to be on? And there are, like, okay, what's this director's take going to be on a Leonard novel? Yeah. That's well, kinda... it's been. I started off my life thinking that he's just a, a an author who wrote movies. I was a 13-year-old kid or whatever. And now I'm like, okay, I want to read all of his fiction. See a no more Leonard book, pick it up. Because uh, a very, very delightful experience, 52. But not delightful of subject matter, but a uh, very neat, fun read. So, Yeah. Can I do one one more thing? I think this will kind of maybe help tie it up a bit. Um, I have this book. It's called Being Cool, The Work of Elmore Leonard by Charles J. Rezepka. There you go. A Slavic with RZE, there's consonants next to each other. I don't know how to say it, so I apologize, Charles. But it's very good. And if you're a Leonard uh, fan at all, you should read it. It's a, it's like a, a, a study of all his work, but it's not dry and academic. It's interesting. But anyway, so he's talking about, you know, just Leonard's fiction in general, but I thought it, it fit well with this book too. Uh, the struggle to make or keep things quote-unquote fun when circumstances conspire to make them serious or to make fun of itself uh, or to make fun itself a serious rather than a fun itself a serious rather than frivolous pursuit is what takes a place of moral struggle in Leonard's fiction. Right? And if you notice in the 52 pickup there's a lot of hefty moral things going on, but Harry Mitchell doesn't spend a lot of time like meditating on it or worrying about it. It's the situation itself, bad as it is, he kind of finds a weird sort of pleasure in just trying to fix it, just diving into the situation, taking it for what it's worth. And I know that was a good point. And there's other, his other books and protagonists deal with things kind of the same way. You know, despite how grim their situation is, they take a weird sort of pleasure in just being able to fix it. Good point. Uh, keep it in mind. Keep it in mind as you go forward. There you go. Uh, good. Uh, fun episode tonight. I'm glad to have little Elmore Leonard under my belt. We'll fill in some of the gaps in my reading. Uh, I did get uh, the Knights of Rodanthe came in. Uh, I got this cool mass market paperback. <laughs> That book is very slim. I didn't realize it was such a short book. Have you started that book, Matt? No, about to. Uh, but we have a, a, a very full and bustling TBR full of fun books, serious books, thrillers, baseball books over on our Patreon. If you like what you're hearing uh, this week, feel free to join us over on our Patreon for a couple bucks a month and you'll get uh, our thriller book club, our book, uh, our baseball and sports uh, book club, all sorts of fun things we have going on over there. Um, yeah, so we got a, we got a fun late summer going into fall. We got the uh, next Flashman book coming up, Matt. We got a, it's, it's good times here on There Will Be Books. Throw Foucault's Pendulum in there. <laughs> Want to just add that real quick right now? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> we'll have to get somebody on smarter than us to explain that book to us but uh, Matt any final thoughts tonight 
no, that's about it. Just, uh, I don't know, I'm excited about the new books I got. I'll, I don't know what I'm going to, I'll keep my eye out for books I can give you. Um, we'll, we'll update the uh, listener how the uh, the reorganization of Matt's bookshelves goes. I'll and, take and pictures uh, when I have them all on the floor so I can move the empty shelves. I'll take a picture of them on the floor. You, you find great satisfaction, I feel like, when you put your books on the floor and look at them and then reorganize them. I make everything all clean. I dust off the shelves, move the shelves. I'm kind of looking forward to it. Well, we'll let you uh, get started on that project, Matt, and we will talk to you next week.